The Incomparable Podcast, number 76, January 2012. We're back on the Incomparable Podcast. We are live at Macworld Expo on the Incomparable Podcast, live. And my guests, as always, it seems, eternally, are Glenn Fleischman. Hello, Glenn. Hello. I play your nemesis in this episode. Yes, and almost every episode. Serenity Caldwell. Hello, hello. Hello, Jason. This is only my third thing on the stage today. Gee, you're a slacker. I know. I I just don't do enough. And Dan Morin, who is on every podcast ever made. I'm the man on every podcast. So, contractually, I must be on this one. Yes. Thank you for making it and fulfilling your contract. I had to. Also, I, I think I was threatened to be fired if I was not. So often when we're doing The Incomparable, we're talking about a movie. We did a bunch of episodes about... We, we did a couple episodes about Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. We talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. We talked about superhero movies. We talked about books. Uh, lots of different books. Uh, you know, thousand-page fantasy and sci-fi novels. We've talked about TV shows, Doctor Who, Sherlock, Star Trek, lots of stuff like that. Uh, today, we're going to go uh, on a topic, and because we're at a technology event, we're, the topic is going to be technology. We're going to talk about stuff we love, and I hope, oh please, oh please, stuff we hate in terms of how technology is portrayed in books, movies, and films, because we know how technology really works. It's, ma- it's magic. And then we watch it? it on the screen, and it, it doesn't work like that. So I wanted to start by asking each of you if you have a particular example of terrible technology from a book, movie, TV show, or any other form of entertainment that you've seen in your lives as a, uh, as a, as a media consumer. I've got, I've got Are you kinda, ready? I've, uh, yeah. Are you prepared? I mean, more or less. Mostly less. All right. Mostly less. I got, I've Can got I a... spot us Jeff Goldblum up using a power book to upload a computer virus to an alien flying saucer on Independence Day, which couldn't happen for about an infinite number of reasons? Yes. It's like, unless they happen to one. be from a parallel world where macOS is the dominant operating system for flying saucer technology, which seems unlikely. I think it's possible, though. Plus, there were no Mac viruses, really. They weren't there. Maybe on the alien parallel planet, there. Work. Anyway, what do you think, Dan? I, I had kind of a more general one because it comes up in a lot of different books and movies. Is this a peeve? It's a peeve. Yeah, it's a it's a complaint about about the way technology is. Pre- How many times have you seen somebody on on a TV show or a movie hack a password one character at a time? <laughs> and I and, and even in things that I like, and it's it's sad when you're watching something that you really like, and then they start doing that, and you're like, oh, jeez, because. It's not how, that's not how passwords work. Passwords are encrypted as a whole. There's no way to guess one character of it and then confirm that character is correct and then move on I, to the next character. I hate to tell you that's actually possible. It what? actually, I, can, I have examples. I'm just going to refute you because that's my nature. But it's true. There are ways, if you know a little bit of the password, you can guess a little more and a little more. So I'm but sorry, how Dan. How does it know one pa- is, That's bad, too, bad security. That's beyond the scope of this podcast. That's bad security, the is no, you're right. It, that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, you know, the password is encrypted as a whole. Do you know, if, you know, if you know a little bit of, you can guess what's not in it. You can derive it from the whole. Yeah, it's but true. it wouldn't it's go true. left to right one digit at a time. Oh, it, no, it, the first two digits are one and eight. It only works if it's in typewriter font, though. That's the critical <laughs> part. Well, it's anything, it's anything with passwords, right? Because, I mean, I do like occasionally, I think my favorites are the ones where 
Um, they're like, oh, we need a password to break in this computer. And then there's a, like a post-it note. Like, I actually like that because that's reason. That, like, all right, that how many people happen. out there actually keep their passwords on a post-it note somewhere near their computer? Because I'm guessing a few. A few. Yeah. Anybody? No one Anybody wants to admit to You wouldn't it. tell me. I understand. Because then I might come to your house. And... I like when it's like, you know, oh, well, we can't figure out the password. We've tried everything. Have you tried his wife's maiden name? No, we never thought of that. Quick, type it in. And... What's and his lo birthday? and behold. Well, the sad thing yeah. is that somebody uh, did, uh, hackers stole a password database and they posted it. And all these security researchers did an analysis of it. And it turned out, unfortunately for all those spy movies, that it isn't somebody's, something clever like a date of a birthday or the name of your spouse. It tends to be password one. Or password. I mean, I, I knew a friend of mine worked at a, uh, his parents had a small company, and he did their computer maintenance. And he said, so he had a list of everybody's password. And like 70% of them were just password. It's like, they, they never changed it. So I guess there is some accuracy to that. But that's just sad. I don't know. When I think of the one digit at a time thing, it just reminds me of a high-tech version of tumble locks, where it's like, all right, I'm listening in, and I'm, oh, I'm finding the first digit. Now let's try and see if we can find the second, and then we find the third. I just assume that that's where it it's like came playing from. That, you ever play that game right. Mastermind, where you have to guess <laughs> yeah. what the other person exactly like, right like color, Mastermind. Mastermind. wrong yeah. slot? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it is. It's somebody wrote a screenplay with a with a combination lock and a safe cracker, and then somebody said nobody does that anymore. Make it a computer. So, Ren, do you have a a, a gripe, a, a favorite misuse I, of technology? I have a a couple overall gripes. Um, Media OS, as a friend of mine so lovingly calls it, is my biggest gripe where they just, you know, it's, it's some uh, people hacking into a, a system or going into a high-tech security interface, and they pull this up, and it's no computer system ever known to man. It's like, oh, it's, let's It's take, all of them. Yes, it's all of them mashed together. It's not, it's not Linux. It's not Mac. It's not Windows. It's... Oh, is this the Mecca, one with like, the Linux black background yeah. and the X's in the corners of the boxes, and it's just it's and they fake have beautiful, OS. yeah, exactly. It's an OS that doesn't quite exist in any universe, and yet it is the prevailing OS everywhere. You know, the the big feature of the t- the computers used on TV is they still somewhere in those computers there is a floppy disk going tick 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 as everything happens. Where what is that? Have you ever seen the one? Uh, I think there's there's a couple where they use that sort of generic media OS. Software and it's actually just a it's a it's a QuickTime movie. Like what they yes. need to do is actually they've recorded like a screencast of their interface and so they're doing things and it doesn't line up with what's happening on the screen. And then once I think I saw one show at once where they like you could see the window like the Chrome around the window. You're a little confused. That's Android. <laughs> that was a cheap shot, but I'll, it's good. You're playing well, to your accepted. crowd here. When I was a kid, uh, I got a computer magazine that had those computer programs you could type in and and use yourself. And one of them was from the TV show Whiz Kids, which was on. I, I'm dating myself. I realize, uh, which was a, it was like the War Games. War Games was a, a hit movie, and people said, "Let's do that as a TV show." And it was. It didn't last very long. We'll get the guy from Barney Miller to be in it. But they had this program, and basically, for every key you randomly mashed on the computer, it would put up a letter that actually would spell something, so that the actors didn't have to have to type things. They could just hit the keys like do-do-do-do, and it would actually type what they're supposed to type on the screen because actors cannot be trained to type the words themselves. Strangely, dogs, dogs can. Dogs are really and good at And occasionally monkeys. And, uh, Dan, by mentioning the QuickTime movie, you left out the most famous use of a QuickTime movie in film history, which is the conversation that Wayne Knight, Newman from Seinfeld, has in Jurassic Park before everybody gets eaten by dinosaurs. 
And I don't know if people notice this, but if you look, this video conference that's happening is, has a progress bar that's slowly going from one end to the other because it's not a video conference. It's a QuickTime movie in the QuickTime player. And, when, and, and the, the call is over when the progress bar... Either that or it's really good timing. It's like, sorry, my, my call has to be over. My progress bar has reached the end. Goodbye. Well, Jurassic Park is particularly egregious, right? Because it's got that famous scene where the, the little kids... You know, the, little, the, the young woman looks at the computer and says, I know this. This is, this is Unix. Yeah, that, that was a visualizer. It's an SGI Unix file system fly-through visualizer that they were presenting as if it were Unix. Well, I know whenever I'm programming and using a Unix, you know, using the terminal, I like to put on 3D glasses to get the full experience. The Ter- is- terminal is really best appreciated in three dimensions. I'm wearing mine all the time. Well, the Matrix taught us that, really. You know, I, I was just thinking that that is one thing that really irks me, and irks me the very first time that I saw The Matrix, is when they're looking at the code, it's like, oh, I can read that. That means you're running down the street. All right, if we're in high-tech, you know, post-apocalyptic society, really no one decided that it would be good to go back to a graphical uni- interface. <laughs> you can't just program that into, oh, look, hey, JPEG. The machines but, don't want us to see things graphically. But to flip side... The Matrix, the second Matrix movie, which is mostly abysmal in all ways, actually has a scene very early on where the character Trinity uses, like, goes and breaks into a computer room and starts SSHing into another server. And is actually, it is actually totally correct, which is, I think they got yelled at enough in that first movie. They're like, oh, we better, we better appease the nerds. Hey, Glenn, do you and have also a particular... Giant orgies. You, you're a cranky guy. I I'm, imagine you've got a, a few grievances here. I'm awfully cranky. I, no, my, I'll give a category and some examples, which is it's the science fiction novel, particularly, that provides too much scientific explanation that is unnecessary, is sometimes wrong, or you just don't care. They're working so hard... Uh, Spin is a good example by... Uh, Robert Charles Wilson. Right, which say. is enjoyable in parts, but it gets mired more... The novel starts out so much stronger because it's about people. And as it goes on, he feels compelled to bring in all this biology and technology and a guy's turning into a crystal. Spoiler, someone turns into a crystal. And all these other things. And you're as like, you do. You know, you're really defeating your plot here. You just... You, you overwhelmed the plot and the human interest with... Uh, details to try to make plausible, plausible physics about things that don't exist. Just paint it and go on. And I'll, the, the counter uh, example there is a novel like The Sparrow by, again, I'll turn Mary you, Doria Russell. He's my, I got all the names, He's folks. my backup brain. Thank you very much. And uh, her novel is beautiful. Uh, the Sparrow, by the way, I think is one of the most beautiful science fiction novels written. And she doesn't care very much about the science. She has just enough to make it something you don't care about. So they do interstellar travel, and there's alien species, but it's all about the heart and about the characterization. Isn't that always a fatal flaw? Is you, 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 you have a writer who wants to show their work, and sometimes the work just needs to be there to inform what they write, and instead they're like, no, no, I did lots of research about computers. I'm putting well, the computers in my book. I want you to see this. Book. I, you know, or biology as, or whatever it is. As opposed to Charles Sheffield, uh, the deceased Charles Sheffield, who wrote some terrific science fiction, some not-so-good science fiction, but he uh, is a big proponent of space elevators, and when he wrote about space elevators, that was right. You could build it from the story, and that's fine, because that was his thing, and I believed it. But if you can't do that, you don't need to try that hard. I had that problem with the uh, the Werner Vinge, uh, was it uh, Fire Upon the Deep? Is that the first one? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and the, there's a big section in the beginning where he's talking about the like, sentient computer that comes online and like, it starts like, ruining this, this human colony. But he starts out from like, you know, like, so the transistors are firing and then it turns into one, it's like all the way up. And you're like, no, 
No, I don't, I don't care. Electrical Engineering 101, thank you. Great. For me in books, I mean, the, the, the best thing about a novel is that you get to sort of picture how it looks in your own head and you get to connect everything yourself. And when they overwhelm you with, techno- with technological doodads and doohickeys and, yes, all of this works and this is how it works, you're like, uh, now you're clouding up my picture and, no, I, I thought it worked that way. My, I really, I mean, Ender's Game is a, is a shaky book for a number of reasons, oh, but I know. I no, 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 I'm saying... For a number of not non-book reasons. As a novel, I love the novel, but a lot of people have differing opinions the, for the, various reasons the, about the, the author. author. Is, the author yes, is problematic. The author, the author, the author is has issues. But yes. the thing I love about Ender's Game is when they describe Battle School and they describe in, in the novel, for those of you who haven't read it, he basically goes to a battle school with thousands of other youngsters and they're playing basically laser tag in space, I think is the best, the best way to put it, with obstacles. And... It's the awesomest yeah, school ever. Exactly. It is the awesomest school ever. I and applied there. This, I was not accepted. Sadly. Uh, but in this in this battle, you know, in this battle arena, the the idea is basically it's like a 360 degree thing and it's zero G, but the only thing they really ever give you description wise is the enemy's gate is down. And from there, you can picture it any way you want. And it if they had gone into details, yes, the zero G requires that you spin this way, and that, it's like that—that that would just ruin it for and me. This game also works great in that they all—they all have iPads, if you remember. But they well do. before the iPad was invented, they all have these little tablets, and they're playing like essentially what is some kind of like—it's almost like a mist-like game on their iPad. There's like the giant, and like they have to. There's a puzzle. It's kind of a puzzle game. Zynga is coming out with that soon. You're, I think. you're in a maze of twisty passages, all alike. Indeed, except you know, like with that. pictures, Glenn. We've invented games with pictures now. Yes, it's not the Matrix. So, Ready Player One, actually, which is on many, many... Ten, I know, I've touched the third rail here. It's on many, many ten best lists of the best uh, sci-fi novels of last year, which is funny because... I thought you were going to say ever, and I was lots, like, no. Lots of us didn't like it, but I think one of the, one of the criticisms we have of it is that, is that he tries in great detail to depict a, a video game world that's not unlike a super advanced World of Warcraft kind of thing, where everybody lives in, or, or, uh, or Snow Crash kind of metaverse, mm-hmm. right? Virtual reality world. And, and yet, um, it, it, he seems to get the details of massively multiplayer online games it, like, like totally got, wrong. It's got no latency, and it's all like, like, like what, like terabit connections. And, and, and it takes what? you a year to go up a no, level, which to, people would totally keep here, playing if they never leveled up for a year. Here's something interesting, though. I was having a drink with a fellow who works at Second Life who actually liked the novel uh, yesterday because uh, even though... It's full of, he knows exactly how Second Life works. He works there. It's a massively, you know, they have all these billions of servers and whatever. And he's like, uh, that part didn't bother me. I'm like, really? That's the part that I found worse because it was, the, you know, the plot had issues and characterization, whatever. But it was the technical implausibility that seemed most egregious because he worked so hard at it. I don't know. I mean, for me, I didn't, I thought the book was okay. I wasn't a huge fan of it. But I actually had no problem with that. It was just, it was one of those, one of those things where, they painted the world and they said, all right, this is a, you know, semi-post-apocalyptic society. Here are the terrible things that happened. But hey, there are millions of data farms in this center and this is how this, you know, I'm going to give you just enough, again, just enough information that you can paint a picture in your head. And I'm like, you know what? It's a fantasy book. But, I'm but, not pretending it's present day United States. I'm going to believe that there's a magical future in which everybody has zero latency because I don't care because it's serving the story. But it, contrast that with... Uh, with uh, Neil Stevenson's Reemdy, which is also about a massively multiplayer, and he doesn't. Not only does he go into the details, but Stevenson in general, a he really understands technology, and you know that if you read his yeah. books because it, it all works, it makes sense. 
But that was a great example of something that was not only it all worked, but it, it was it was kind of fascinating the way that he presented it. Well, He's got a, a way of going off into these technical digressions that is is really interesting. His right? tangential, no, yeah. No, the the game Terrain in Reemdi by Neil Stevenson is is a much more realistic world, um, a realistic video game. What's strange about that novel, of course, is that 500 pages in, <laughs> he gets bored with that and decides that a there should be more gunplay instead. Of no, the thing about he lost, he lost track of what he was writing and he had to start a different novel in the middle. But it's also a good novel, the second one. Yeah, no, I mean, but Reemdi and Ready Player One are very, two very different focuses, whereas Terrain in Reemdi is very much, it's about the game. It's not necessarily about playing the game, but they're spending time talking about the background of the game and the game is the issue here. Whereas Ready Player One, it's all about what they're doing in the game and right. all about the puzzles in the game. Right. So a, the game can It's ma- about movies from the 1980s. It really is. That's the important thing. No, about it's Ready true. Player and One. movies from the 1980s make us all happy, as we've learned from you, well, Jason. They yes, they do. They make yes. me happy. I don't know about you people, but you're, we you're smile a real genius, and, and, and now it's time for special guest John Syracuse. No, <laughs> trash real genius <laughs> on stage and please. Real Genius is an excellent movie, and you have to have a cold black heart so, to just show, like it. Show me where on the DVD case John Syracuse attached it. <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to mention, and we've talked about lots of uh, nerdy uh, things, because this is what this is for, but I wanted to bring up a, a novel from uh, popular culture, just bit massive best-selling novel of the last few years, which is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I think lots of people have, lots of people have read it, and I find it fascinating because of two things. One, there is a supernaturally brilliant computer hacker, Elizabeth Salander, who can put some software on your computer that lets her see your computer and its entire hard drive contents over the internet anywhere, and she has a complete copy of everything you've got at all times. It's like the she should not be... A, computer hacker for hire, she invented like instantaneous time machine. She should be a billionaire. Crashplan is demonstrating that software later today, I think. It's, it's, I mean, the, pro- the problem, the plausibility, that was the thing. When I read that, that part particularly got me because there are many, he asked somebody, he talked to people about this clearly because there are aspects of it that are just right and then there are aspects of it that are completely ridiculous and he's incapable of figuring out which was which. Well, and again, the problem with uh, Steve Larson in that book is that he goes into such specific detail. And the, the well, one that always sticks out in my memory is I think it's from the first book where she's like, yes, Lisbeth unpacked her three G or her iBook G3 yes. with 233 well, megahertz of RAM. That's and my then, number two complaint about the girl with yeah. the dragon tattoo, which any Mac user who, is, who has read that book has to laugh and laugh and laugh at that. It, he, that guy was such... A gigantic Mac nerd. It, it is. It is so apparent, and it's hilarious because he wanted to detail to the to the amount of hard drive space and RAM installed in all the Mac laptops that are used by all the characters in that book. And he does. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. And and, and as an editor, I sit there and think, why is this here? But I love it that 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 the author was so obsessed with the Mac that he wanted to put in the specs of every character's laptop they, they carried in it the over entire to the, book. To the movie tour, the recent American movie anyways. They, they, they use Macs in that. And in fact, I think they use iPhoto for a particular scene where they're like, he's, he's cataloging images from this parade in the 1950s and discovers something within the images. And they actually use, I think all of that was like real in the movie. Like they used all the, the correct features. Ah, uh, but how many megahertz was the... Uh it was only computer four. running at. It was only four megahertz. You know, you know what's fascinating about that though is like you look at a movie like Blade Runner, and I don't think Blade Runner ever 
irritates us about its... I mean, you know, advanced, zoom in, quadrant 4B, zoom, zoom, zoom. Okay, keep zooming. Down to the molecular structure. There he is, you know. And that never... Zoom in and enhance. Zoom in and enhance. Zoom in you gave, you my other pet peeve. Slide. Never bothers me in the structure of great storytelling, fascinating movie. The intensity, like, bothers me a tiny, tiny bit because this, the... The, the way it, what, it bothered you a lot? You're no, I was going to say oh. that the problem with Blade Runner is that, the, that replicants are totally not like that. What's, like what? <laughs> Glenn, glowing cover. Glenn, tell me about I'm your sorry, mother. there's a glowing uh, thing <laughs> in my hand. Now, red now we are going to administer glowing. the Voidkamp test to Glenn right now on stage. <laughs> so What did you say about my mother? You, you, you reminded me of a, of a scene in a movie, which is my favorite technological craziness ever, which is the movie, I don't know if anybody ever saw the movie Enemy of the State with Will Smith. And Gene Hackman, it's it's sort of a unofficial. Gene Hackman sort of plays a continuation of his character from The Conversation, a great Francis Ford Coppola film from the seventies. Um, but there's a scene where um, these NSA agents are tracking Will Smith, and they think he's a spy or something. And so the two of the the two tech nerds are talking in the van, and they're saying, "Oh, we've got this camera view on on him, but he's carrying a bag. We want to know what's he's, what's in the bag, but we can't tell because he's in between us and the bag. You know, he's in between the camera and the bag." They said, well, we can, all right, we'll, we'll rotate, the, rotate the image uh, along a, on a 180-degree uh, axis and turn it around. And so the other guy goes, it can do that? And the first guy says, it can hypothesize. <laughs> Which, from years, my friends and I would just throw, it can hypothesize. <laughs> so it can imagine what might be in the bag. On the other side of a bag from an image it cannot get. But so it, the strangest part is that MIT later, some guys did research of technology that's very much like this, that was, it could, like, extrapolate what was on a playing card on the other side of a playing card. It blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, that's real. Well, there is technology that can do, like, they look at the reflections elsewhere and they can kind of back scatter the light and figure out what was what, what's I think this involved, like, out. looking through the card and figuring out, like, the pigments. X-rays are involved. It's crazy. It is, it is crazy. So, so, okay, we've spent the last 20 minutes griping about bad... There's a lot of bad technology stuff. I, I mean, being at Macworld Expo, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fine Sandra Bullock vehicle, the Net... Most notable, perhaps, for Dennis Miller playing an intrepid computer hacker who is, who, who, who is horribly killed halfway through. Spoiler alert, sorry. Don't get attached to Dennis Miller in the net if you haven't seen it. Don't, and don't if you get haven't attached seen to Dennis it, don't, Miller, period. Don't watch period. it. But, but all of the crowd scenes in the tech trade show in the net are, were shot at Macworld Expo. Uh, just trivia. There you go. It's it it is MacWorld Expo as it was seen in the nineties. Is Philip Michaels in that though? That's the important part. No, no. But he's in Moneyball. I believe if the processor goes be, be below hundred megahertz, then the bus explodes. Then the bu- bus explodes. Yeah, it was the plot of the net. Uh, anyway, so positive portrayals. Do you have any examples of, of of you know what does it right? I mean, we we cover technology for a living, and we also read you know and and watch movies and watch TV. What are the things that you see that you think, you know, that's pretty good. They did a, pre- they did a fair job with that. My- I, well, uh, go ahead. I appreciate, I appreciate that, and, and Dan will appreciate take, this reference as well. It, are you going to take, take my- mine? I will, I will retract Hopefully mine. I won't. All right. My, my, my one was just saying that I appreciate that it takes Han Solo a couple minutes to calculate a path through hyperspace. That it's not just button, hyperspace. It's like, no, if I don't calculate the precise coordinates and education and, you know, all that, we could, you know, wind up in a black hole. Or... Flying through hyperspace ain't like dusting crops, boy. There we go. I, I was going to say, and, and this is uh, another particular uh, 
in relation to where we are, uh, the fine San Francisco-based tech movie, Sneakers, uh, which is one sneakers. of my favorite movies of all time. I wouldn't now, steal sneakers the, from the, the small details aren't always there, but I love the plot, which basically involves a code breaker that can break any code, because there is a certain amount of mathematical... Um, they have a scene where a very, very skinny and young Donald Logue, um, who's a mathematician, explains that this, this theory is based on the fact that all encryption is essentially based on hard mathematical problems, where it's really easy to multiply two incredibly large numbers together, but it's really hard to then take that really large number and figure out what the original two numbers that you multiplied were. Now, basically he's saying in, in the movie, the idea is he comes up with an algorithm that, that makes it really easy to find out, and then he turns it into a computer chip, and it gets used to decrypt pretty much any system, which is great. I love it because it's kind of, it's, it's not exactly like a high-stakes thing, but it, it is at the same time, because it's just a computer chip, um, but it, it has all these implications. It's the implications that are interesting. And so there are a couple great scenes where they use it to like decode information. There's also my, my favorite scene ever, which is, involves Robert Redford um, you know, trying to break into their office, and he looks down and goes, oh, does anybody remember how to, uh, how to break a, beat an electronic keypad lock? And he listens for a minute, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, I'll give it a try. And then he kicks the door in. He goes, that worked. I was like, that, that for me, that was one of my favorite moments in technology ever. Robert Redford's foot. He kicked the door in. Hey, sometimes the brute force approach works. pretty impressive. Me? Yes, Glenn. Uh, so I was a big fan of Defying Gravity, a short-lived TV series, uh, American Canadian co-production uh, that because I thought it was beautifully shot. It was shot so expensively. I think they couldn't continue to make this series in light of the uh, even the joint co-production. But what they did is they took a world that was slightly in the future, not ridiculously far. I think it was only maybe less than a hundred years. The technology was beautifully plotted ahead. So they're going on a grand voyage among all the planets, and it turned out to be a non-sinister, a benign plot that was hidden from everyone to spend a trillion dollars to do this grand mission and learn and so forth. And it gets a little involved as to why. But all the technology involved was only a mild extrapolation, but it was beautiful. So this ship they made, they had extensive hydroponics and, and so forth, and they'd figured out very carefully there were going to be some real problems if they uh, didn't get this balance just right. One episode, there's this bit where they think they're right at the, um, I forgot, it's a tipping point, there's a term for it, not the Lagrange point, I forget, there's a term for where they've reached where after that point they do not have enough fuel to return without reaching the next planet where they're able to harvest fuel or what have you. And uh, they have a water filtration problem. And it's not presented as, oh, no, it's a plumbing issue. It's presented as a serious thing. It's actually a crux of a plot element. And it's exactly what would happen on that kind of mission. It's what we've seen on, on some missions uh, in orbit or to space shuttles that have occurred. And, but they presented it in a matter-of-fact way that you then accepted so much, you're willing to take so much, that you could focus on the story and deal with some of the more mystical elements that were off to the side. That's good. And it was canceled. Like most are. Thanks uh, for that, Glenn. Uh, it's your I, fault, I'm sure. I have a... I liked it, so it was canceled. I have a bunch of movies that I think do science right. I mean, the, maybe the most obvious of them isn't really science fiction so much, but uh, we were talking about... Is it Real Genius? No, no. Real Genius, those lasers are real, man. They, they really used... In, in Real Genius, they used a real EE Prom programmer. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't like that. That was Jason, funny. Jason, you're gonna you make tell me us do a little bit about Real Genius, you, You're going to make please. me do it now. Real, you know, Real Genius does actually not do a bad job of showing science in action. And no, that they, it isn't like they just kind of like scribble some things up and flip a switch and it works. There's like they're, they're doing laser research and they're frustrated. They're at Pacific Tech, which is just a disguised Caltech. 
and it goes through they, they go through a lot of frustration and there's a, a great moment of uh, the eureka moment where Val Kilmer is really upset that his laser has exploded because the nefarious uh, braces wearing Kent has put smudged the lens and it causes a conflagration in the laser lab and he goes out into his dorm uh, kitchenette and kicks the uh, kicks the refrigerator open because he's just kicking everything and the liquid nitrogen comes out and he realizes that he could use liquid nitrogen to freeze the uh, material that he's using to make the laser. And, it, and, it's, and then he runs to the lab and you see him kind of working it out. And, and it is kind of a, a neat moment to show that science takes hard work and it also takes leaps. And this isn't a movie that is not afraid multiple times to show montages set to music. It was the 80s. Where people are studying or they're learning how to fire really lasers. I like the scene where he's uh, training in the slaughterhouse, right? Was that that's real genius, right? Yeah, that he runs, be, up, he runs up the stairs. You may be thinking he of runs a different up the stairs movie. That movie no? also slightly less science. Accurate use of the Haze command. There's AT commands. Yeah, for the Haze modem. AT command. ATDT one eight three. Accurately yeah. deployed in this and, film. And there is the, the, in the climactic and really not very good scene where there's a fake plane that. That's badly dubbed into the scene. Uh, they 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 remove a ROM and replace it with instructions burned onto an EEPROM programmable read-only memory and use that to swap in, which was surprisingly accurate. But yet, yet this is one I was going to say. I was going to mention Apollo 13, which I think does a great job of showing real science in action, which you know, and the computers and the and the the, the resourcefulness of the scientists. Um, I was going to. It's not entirely a computer movie, but I wanted to throw out. Um, Moneyball, which is a an Oscar nominee, which I think if you haven't seen it, even if you're not a baseball fan, I think you might like it because that's a movie that's really about people using uh, numbers and using techniques to understand things and, and meeting resistance from people who haven't analyzed things that closely. They've got an old way of thinking. And it's very strange because it's a movie about ideas, and I'm really surprised it has gotten the reception it has and that it got nominated for Best Picture because it's, you know... Nothing happens in it other than people change their minds. It's, you know... And their hearts. And, well, no, just their minds. Their hearts are not involved at all. And there's a, hearts I mean, are there's set a cute in kid in it. But, and then uh, the other one would be Contact, the uh, Jodie Foster sci-fi movie, which is from Carl Sagan's Carl Sagan, book. So, yeah. And therefore is rigorous. And there are lots of really nice bits in there about space. Even though, yes, they create a spaceship that opens a dimensional portal. But there's a lot of time spent, like, in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence where they're searching for signals and they've got to process the signals and they, they've Very been doing it a rate. long time. And then the truth of engineering where they build uh, two of everything because why build one when you can build two for twice the price is the they had, story. Goes. They had to get the sign off from Japan, which is totally realistic. It's like, yeah, we'll build two of these things and one gets, oh, spoiler, one gets blown up. You Sorry. would never see that coming. You forgot that dog, uh, it did that come out like 10 years ago. That, that dog's going to die. You, know? you, you forgot the... Uh, Old Yeller dies in Old Yeller. I'm sorry. You forgot, you forgot um, uh, the movie Hackers. No, you Hackers. didn't. You didn't. With you Angelina wish, Jolie? You wish you could forget the movie Hackers. We all do. Was have that you, not so good? Have you seen that? It's not. It has, a, that has some terrible, terrible representation. All right, so since, since we're at Macworld, should we talk a little bit about your favorite portrayals of the Mac or the iPhone or the iPad in... in uh, in things, or Glenn, do you want to savage something or praise no, no, something? I, again? I have a very quick one, which is in the original Charlie's Angel movie. Um, which, which <laughs> wait, I, original Charlie's sorry. Angels movie? You've confused me. How now. many are there now? Are there three or five? Well, there was the TV it? show, and then they no, made the movie. the movie. Is this like the Drew Barrymore? The Drew Barrymore. And then they made another TV the Drew show. Drew Barrymore canon is what I'm talking about. 
in that series. And so, in by that the way, movie, in that movie where she plays a, a copy editor for that magazine in Chicago or that newspaper in Chicago, copy editors do not have their own offices with their own secretaries. I'm sorry. That's. I think your. You think your organization needs. Sorry, that, that's bad that's journalism. journalism. Sorry, it, sorry. Yeah. So there's that scene in the movie where uh, I don't know who is it is strung down on wires and she flips over and she's going to the mainframe at the Oracle like the Larry Ellison run evil company. It's very thinly veiled portrayal of Larry Ellison, I believe. And uh, she gets in there and hits buttons and things open up and and what comes out, I believe, is a two CX motherboard, which she pulls some chip out of. And then it closes back up. But I'm pretty sure I owned a computer with that motherboard in it. I hope so, since you recognized <laughs> it on screen. I actually, a very recent movie, I've got to give props and a little bit of finger wagging to, uh, which is the latest Mission Impossible movie, which Ghost has a... Protocol. Yes, Ghost Protocol, which has a great uh, use of an iPad as uh, using an iPad app and what, Mylar? Is it some, some sort of reflective virtual reality uh, screen they put up and they basically use the iPad to render out a... They use the iPad camera, they position it, and then the iPad camera sees whatever's behind them and tries to render the hallway. They they put up like a big screen, like like a slideshow screen type thing, like one of these, and then they project from behind a picture of the hallway as it was when they were not there, and then they slowly like push up the screen and walk behind it. And it but uses it, the same kind of 3D technology that they're trying to... It's a funny to, scene, a yeah. well-done scene. No, it's, it's true. But uh, that, was, that was fun. There were a couple of other uh, very funny moments. They try and break into a, a mainframe that gets really, really hot, and they acknowledge the fact that, oh, all of these computers, yeah, probably going to burn you alive if you touch them, because it's just all of the steam. You shut down the fan, probably not a great, great idea. I don't know, and then... They have, of course, the, the moment where it's, you know, it's, it's a Mission Impossible movie. But, not to spoil it, uh, I, I did like the, the iPad scene. They, um, I, I want to give a credit to, you know, what's very interesting is years ago, um, they would show, like, people who want phones and they want to do things. And they would have, like, fake, you know, like we were talking about the MediaOS thing on the phones. What's funny is now all the phones are iPhones on any TV show where they need to use something. Although, I really enjoyed the few episodes I've seen of various things where you'll, you can tell someone's, like, holding it upside down. It was more apparent back with the original iPhone that had the black bottom and the silver casing, but you would definitely catch they were trying to cover the logo, right? Because they often obscure the Apple logo, and so people would hold the phone upside down at their head. I had to laugh every time I see that. But my favorite Mac usage in a TV show, I think, is Veronica Mars, the late lamented uh, show about a, uh, a young woman who's a private investigator. Because they frequently use Macs on that show, and they almost always use actual footage of the OS doing things, copying files whatsoever. So there's an episode of Friends where Chandler is reading a copy of Macworld. That's right, there is. The one with Macworld. Yeah, that's the title. It's the one, with, the one where Chandler is laying on the couch reading Macworld. And it's the, it's the Steve Jobs returns to Apple issue of Macworld. And I remember it because that was about two months before I started working in Macworld. I worked at the competition. And I remember being so angry that Macworld was on an episode of Friends. And now I look back and it's like, yeah, that's cool. Macworld was in Friends. But my favorite, I mean, my favorite Mac in the media moment is definitely Scotty from Star Trek IV inventing, uh, inventing a complicated molecular structure Transparent use, using only the, the original Mac keyboard, because that is how you build complex molecular models is by typing. Well, uh, before you try to use Siri, use via a mouse. But, but yeah. it does say something about Siri and about speaking to devices that Scotty's 
plan, like they do on the Enterprise where they talk to the computer, is he picks up the original mouse and says, hello, computer, and the computer doesn't answer because it's an original Mac. And looking back, that movie was not that long after the original Mac came out, so it's it's early days. It's amazing they had the ability to build transparent aluminum in Mac paint. But Scotty is advanced. He's from the future. Oh, a keyboard. How primitive or something. I I bet you he was like, like, he wrote the code to do it, and and that was what he was typing. And then it just came out because he was from the future. I I think there's an interesting issue about the portrayal of technology and media that actual technology can be extremely tedious. And so you have to spice it up, right? So the NSA, there's a great thing in Three Days of the Condor. Terrific, terrific Robert Redford movie. 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 I mean, and it's fantastic in so many ways. One of the things that's most sort of terrifying and interesting about that movie, and I think has turned out to be true in the interviewing period, is what does Robert Redford do? He's a CIA uh, semi-covert analyst, He's an analyst, and he just yeah. reads stuff all the time. That's what they do in the office, and they read and analyze the wrong thing. And that's what the NSA spends most of its time doing, the National Reconnaissance Office. And Wait, the mic's still on. Wait, what's, what's wrong? And, Most uh, of them aren't doing it like in just an office building in the middle right. of New York City. That's though. right. Well, it was a brownstone. It was hit. But it was most of the work done in that space is to look at massive amounts of information, not individually, pull out patterns, decipher it. And it's extremely – it may be very interesting in particular, especially if you're a, crypto, a cryptologist – but it's a cryptographer, but it's uh, or cryptobiologists. That's a whole other story. Cryptozoologists. Uh, cryptozoologists. Yes, Bigfoot. Over the NRA. But the, but they, you know, or it's things like, uh, you know, it's just technology. I went to Facebook's data centers, as new data center in Prineville, Oregon, a few months ago, which was exciting and interesting and bizarre because it's row after row of identical equipment. There's nothing interesting there. I could see some kind of saw like, uh, oh, you know, mystery uh, murder. Oh, like thing a happening. horror movie set yeah. in a data center? Absolutely. Why not? Oh. But it's nothing. You you know, you open it up. It's like, look at all these amazing glowing lights. Like nothing spinning. They're no. using SSDs. Glenn, that would call be, it, it's that called would be, the rack. That would be such a great climax to a movie to have a sh- like a a chase and a shootout and people pulling like blade servers out and using them to like oh, that kind of happens in the, last yeah. the Mission Impossible movie there they is could, a fight in the data set in the, they could the even end. cut yeah. with people around the globe their heroes would pull a thing out and swing the computer to, to hurt someone and someone in Peoria my pictures just disappeared from my wall <laughs> Right, Dropbox is down what's going the, the on turns, out getting, replicated. turns okay. out getting hit by the cloud really hurts you can I don't know if that. you get points for that that's painful. I, I These think clouds are sharp. Sometimes I think the best uh, use of technology in in fiction is extrapolation of what we've got now and what that means for the future. I and mean, that's what I love about science fiction that's involved in, in, in technology. I just read a couple of books by Charles Strauss, which are, you know, I have my issues with them. They're, they weren't the most exciting books to read. But what I really liked about it is him trying to extrapolate uh, our current technology out 20 years and say, you know, imagine if the police have a, an enhanced reality view with all of their policing data and, yeah, and there's more surveillance of people and he's trying to project out what that means and it, it means things like anything you say to the police is logged and can always be retrieved later and, you know, and, and how does that change the police and how does that change how people interact with the police and I love, I love looking at that saying it's obvious we've got this stuff now where are we going to be in 10 or 15 years? We, we left out one of the best ones, which is the one everyone wants to talk about, which is Minority Report, right? Because we're all thinking about, oh, Minority Report, you'll have the future. You'll be able to gesture around and do things in the air. And um, I mean, that technology does now sort of exist. The Microsoft Connect does stuff that's very much like that, and it's pretty cool. But um, it I just imagine, light up the air I love with picturing, your I love picturing what that's like if you're just using your computer at home. Oh, man, I really need to put together my, uh, my newsletter for my family. So I'm going to get some, some pictures and write some text. 
Okay. No, no. Email it up and send it. Dan, it's cut to doctor's office. Doc, it's it, oh my back, it's killing I think me. I tore my rotator cuff. Yeah, how did you do that? I was sending an email, scrapbooking. Yeah, it's no good. Oh, touchscreen IMAX, not a good idea. No massive, massive gesture, uh, gesture-based interfaces. We are almost out of time. So before I know, you look surprised. Did it fly by? Do you have more? It was very it flew like an eagle. Do you have, I, I, before we go, I'm just wondering if there's anything that we've left out that we should talk about, about well, we're all technology. Big, we're all big Doctor Who fans on this stage. And it's time sort of, machine technology has not yet been invented. It's, well, it's, I think it's sort of ever? hilarious that of all the things we're mentioning that we don't like, we're like, everything in Doctor Who is ridiculous, well, and we're willing that, to accept that. Isn't that the trick, is that it, it, it's once you start to purport to be real and you start putting in the details, it goes back to authors wanting to show their work and say, ha-ha, I've done some research about this and now I will show it to you, which one, can be really boring, and two, it can be really annoying if they get it wrong because they need to get it wrong for plot purposes, and it's much better if they just either say something like Doctor Who, which is completely ridiculous and just like, there's a guy with a time machine that's bigger on the inside, it's like, all right, or it's like, suffice to say, like what you said about Ready Player One, suffice it to say there's an online world and it's a game, and let me tell you my story now, and I'm not going to... The problem with Ready Player One is that first chapter really gets into details that I'd really rather actually not know and just have him say, trust me, it's a virtual world, and then there's a story I'm going to tell you. And that, that's better. It's like once they get into the details, then, they're, then, then it's boring and they're going to get them wrong. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey as we... Well, exactly. The grander the fantasy... And the more ridiculous the technology and the better the story, the more likely I am to believe it. If it's present day NCIS, let's enhance the video, it becomes Zoom. far less. Enhance. Yes. No, enhance more. Enhance again. I'm... Yeah, if it's, no, if no, it's set 3,000 years in the future and they're on a spaceship and certain things, I'm willing to let certain things go in the name of plot. No, yeah, nothing bothered me more than seeing Jack Bauer with his Palm Trio that had, like, instantaneous live video GPS collaboration with the people back at the CTU. If they had released that model, they wouldn't have had to sell themselves Palm, to yeah. guys. Come <laughs> Seriously. If Palm could do what they did on 24, Palm would own all of us now. That's why John Rubin's going very to different He's going on to fulfill his dream now. He's going to create the CTU operating system for terror, counterterrorism he's with creating, Jack he's Bauer. Creating, he's creating iMedia for media, TV, dot... Another, well, now that, the, now that uh, WebOS has been open sourced, all the, uh, there's probably like a guy out there who's like, I am your specialist in creating fake interfaces for movies and TV. And come Web to me. OS you might be the new show somewhere. It's true. Yeah. All right. So have we done enough damage to our, ourselves and, and the Macworld live stage? Well, for... Stephen Fry hasn't been mentioned, so I think we're okay. <sighs> I mean, has Stephen Fry ever missed you? Stephen Fry is a good user of technology. Yeah, Stephen Fry is. is trying to steal all our work by... Doing everything and writing technology reviews also. He's so talented in so many other ways, he needs to leave our business alone. I, I want demarcation. I'll tell you, demarcation. As long as he doesn't become the voice of Wikipedia and therefore become the actual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I will be fine. Yeah, although he, uh, it's, it's funny, if you don't know, Stephen Fry is not only a huge Apple fan, but he, he's, he gets invited to Apple events now. So we were at the iPad 2 launch... Right, or was the original iPad It was iPad the original launch. iPad. And, and original iPad, and we're all there kind of blown away by the original iPad, and we're getting a look at it because it's not going to be out for a little while. And, uh, and uh, Stephen Fry is there. It's just like, hey, it's, why are you here? And it's, well, but, I can, I can but he's circ- carrying on from his friend Douglas Adams, yeah, who was the biggest Mac his, fan ever. And Douglas Adams, one of the great things about him was both his willingness to write in technology when it made sense 
about contemporary stuff and make up all kinds of things that weren't relevant. He didn't have to show his work. Right. Well, but the, the Hitchhiker's Guide and what have you. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The beauty of that is that you know that is prefiguring Wikipedia in many ways, and, and the iPad, yeah. and the iPad, yeah. and it's great. And I and the the one of the you know terrible things about him having having died so young is that God, I would love to see Douglas Adams take on a lot of modern technology, especially something like Wikipedia, which I just know there is some incredible humor for him to mine from it that we're, ne- that we're never going to see. But we do have the Hitchhiker's Guide. Well, we do know the Vogons run AT&T, so there is that. And on that note, I think we will close up the annual tradition of us sitting up here and saying things randomly live in front of an audience. I would like to thank my guests. Dan Morin, thank you very much for being here, as always. It's a pleasure to be here, as always, Jason. Is it always a pleasure, or are you just always here? I'm always here. It's not always a pleasure. Okay, thank you. I wanted to clarify. Serenity Caldwell, thank you very much for being here. It's thank always you, a pleasure Jason. to have you here. I love being here. Uh, maybe not always on this couch, but I love being on this podcast. All right. I was going to make you just stay here overnight. To I mean, it's try pretty it comfy. I'm, I'm afraid this, I'm it might. I'm taking this chair home. Yeah. All right. Nice. That's I good. Like I'm taking the stage home. And Glenn Fleischman, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. And gracing much. us with your presence. Please insert 25 cents to continue. Thank you. Uh, and thanks to everybody who joined us streaming on the internet, everybody who's here. And shameless plug, if you would like to hear slightly more coherent versions of conversations like this that are edited and not live in front of an audience, that go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Otherwise, listen to The Incomparable, which you can find at theincomparable.com. Until next time, I am Jason Snell. If there is a next time, goodbye. <laughs>